The following podcast is a W2M Network partnership production. Visit W2Mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment. You are now listening to The Football Five, only on the W2M Network. All right, welcome to The Football Five, everybody. Alongside Eric Watkins, Dylan Goldman, Joshua Lurie, and today joining us is producer Sean Garmer. I'm Stephen Err. Rachel will be back with us next week. She's doing something else right now, a little important. So we'll just go right into it right here. We'll go to the final scores from week six, Thursday night. San Diego beat Denver 21-13. The Bills beat down on the 49ers, 45-16. Jaguars upset the Bears. I don't know if I'm going to call it an upset. Jaguars beat the Bears, 17-16. Lions beat the Rams, 31-28. Dolphins dominate the Stellars, 30-15. Patriots pummel the Bengals, 35-17. Saints beat the Panthers, 41-38. The G-Men beat the Ravens, 27-23. Titans hold off the Browns, 28-26. The Redskins beat the Eagles, 27-20. Chiefs chopped down on the Raiders, twenty-six to ten. The Cowboys upset the Packers, thirty to sixteen. Seahawks hold off the Falcons, twenty-six twenty-four. Texans come back to beat the Colts, twenty-six twenty-three in overtime. And the Cardinals crush the Jets, twenty-eight to three on Monday night. Guys, from week seven, six. I'm sitting here trying to pretend like the sky isn't falling, but I'm I'm not happy about Big Ben being injured. It's not so much about him missing time, because as we've seen year after year, Big Ben is one of the toughest quarterbacks in NFL history. He will play through injury. We've seen him play on a broken ankle. We've seen him do things that mere mortals would shudder at the thought of. But the thing is he's not good when he's doing all of that and i'm terrified that he's going to come back too early and just be hurt when he comes back and not as effective as we need him to be for me it's simple landry jones and geno smith should not be nfl quarterbacks under pretty much any circumstance my Super Bowl picks are for the first time all season looking halfway decent, and I don't know what's in the water up in Buffalo, but this is the first time in many years that I can say they're something of a threat in the AFC East and actually mean it. For me, it comes with the Cowboys. Now, we've talked about Dak Prescott for a long time now. He's played fantastic. No turnovers coming in as a fourth-round pick. But we did not think it was going to continue in Lambeau where the Cowboys haven't won in years. But, kid you not, they come in, beat the Packers by two touchdowns, and Dak Prescott outplays Aaron Rodgers, who is supposed to be one of the best quarterbacks in the league, but they seem to be in a huge funk right now. 
And now what I'm taking away from this game is that there can't, there should not be a quarterback controversy anymore. Dak Prescott has led them to a fantastic record throughout the first six games of the season, leads them into the bye week with the first place in their division. And they just beat a team they haven't beat in Lambeau for a long time and by two touchdowns. So for me, I don't know how there can even be any discussion about how there is a decision to make a quarterback with the way Dak Prescott is playing right now. The thing is, Dylan, though, we we look at how effective Dak Prescott has been, but we've also got to remember a couple of key things. One, he isn't so much winning games as being a game manager, which there's nothing wrong with that. That's absolutely what you want out of a young quarterback. But there's going to come a time later in the season when you want a veteran who's got that steady hand and who's been there before to be taking the snaps. Two, also imagine how good this offense for the Cowboys would be if we had a halfway healthy Tony Romo who's able to stretch the ball with the deep ball. And also, number three, when Des Bryant comes back, you're going to want to make the offense a lot more balanced. And given the fact that he's missed so much time, in Dak Prescott's development, you might want Tony Romo in there purely for the uh, chemistry those two have and that you can now open up the passing game and give Ezekiel Elliott a little bit of a break so he doesn't break down as we get to the playoffs. But exactly how balanced is that offense going to be? You see Des Bryant on the sidelines. Romo can get him the ball, but he is going to be the primary focus. I'm a little worried that even with the fantastic offensive line, I've seen, and we've all seen, what Tony Romo can do with a fantastic offensive line. But at the same time, you have Jason Witten still involved. You're getting Cole Beasley more involved. Ezekiel Elliott is running outside of his own mind right now. When you bring back Tony Romo and Des Bryant, you're not creating a more balanced offense you're creating an entirely different shift. I don't know if that transition is going to be so easy. Yes, it's better to try it earlier in the season than better, but don't expect the Cowboys to go without a rough patch when that transition happens. Let's get Sean's... Um, uh, I, I would disagree with you on that because look at who they're playing. They're playing the Eagles. They're playing Cleveland. I mean, he's not even going to play when the Eagles are, are there. That's going to be Dax. Probably his last game if they take him out. Uh, he may even play the Cleveland game and then you play after that. Uh, and and who knows if Big Ben's going to be back for that Pittsburgh game or not. I think it's... You're looking... You're, uh, you're forgetting that... Dak played with Dez for a couple of weeks, and before Dez went out, he was starting to get the hang of being there with Dez. It's not that much of a change. Uh, to call Dak a, de- a game manager, I think, is you're not doing him justice. You're not watching the games. He is not managing any kind of game. He has a different kind of offense, which Eric points out, because he can run, whereas Romo can't. But I just don't think that the game changes that much. This is the 2014 Dallas Cowboys all over again. This is Ezekiel Elliott running like DeMarco Murray did. This is the offensive line mauling people. This is an offense that moves around. And Romo does the same thing like Dak does. He he throws the ball around different people. So I don't really see how much anything is different other than 
Okay, they're doing the same thing that Romo does. They take long possessions. They do everything pretty much the same other than the fact that Dak is it can run and Romo can't. Romo's a bit more accurate. He has more touch on the ball. He's a better passer. But right now it's it's the fact of Dak being durable and him being in that chemistry thing. But I think one thing we're forgetting here, and there's also a business side to this, and the business side says you have to give Romo the opportunity to know if you have anything with him before the season is out because you got to figure out if you want to trade him or if you want to make him the highest paid backup next year or what you want to do. And honestly, if I'm the Dallas Cowboys, I'd rather take Dak Prescott out when he's playing well instead of, oh, we're going to wait till Dak Prescott sucks. And then guess what happens? If Romo gets hurt and then in that game that you take Dak Prescott out or you uh, or Romo just plays badly, the next thing you're seeing from Dak Prescott is, oh, well, remember when he the last two games when he was terrible? That's what everybody's going to be talking about. They're not going to be talking about the five or six or seven wins that he had beforehand. So I think you need to put you need to think about that as well. It's not always let's wait till he sucks and take him out because it's all about mindset and his mental uh, thing, not just all about the physical. Look, the popular quote reads, "If it ain't broke, don't fix it." And while I'm not saying that you shouldn't put in Tony Romo or give him a chance because he has been their starter for a long time and has led them some, to some success when they have the right pieces. But for me, while the bye week, in my opinion, does not come at the greatest of times, there's no reason to break up Dak Prescott's momentum, send him out for a few weeks, and if you want to put him back in, it's just going to mess up his momentum. And while I know Tony Romo has been with his receivers for a long time, they're starting to get comfortable with Dak Prescott. They've already gotten five wins, only one loss coming in the first game of the season. If it's not broken, there's no reason to fix it. And while I understand you've got Tony Romo in there who's been there for years and has developed the chemistry with these receivers, Dak Prescott has momentum going with with these players, and there's no reason to break it up right now until it starts to not work anymore. All right, here's here's something about this. I'm going to be saying this a lot during the course of this season and on my next new podcast, February 8th. Dak? For the Cowboys, it's like a diet. He he does he he makes everything better. Everything goes smooth. He doesn't you don't you're not in a situation with Dak where you have to score the last touchdown with seconds left to win the game. With Romo, when he has in that, it was half the time when he's in that situation, he's throwing interceptions. He's blowing the game. Not only that, but Dak, like Sean, Josh, you all mentioned, Dak can run the ball. Romo takes the L, takes the sack, which we we cannot afford, especially in the final two minutes of the game. So I want Dak Prescott to start. Jerry Jones, you are an idiot for wanting to start Romo. And I can't wait to see the Cowboys go from... They're the 2015 Atlanta Falcons. They're going to start 6-1. They're going to lose playoffs with Romo under center. Well, i personally rather him you figure it out in the middle of the season instead of what if Dak hits a rough patch and everybody starts questioning, okay... Do we go with Romo later? To me, this is more like I'd rather it become the 2015 Denver Broncos where you you found out what you had with Romo. It was either the old Tony Romo or it was the Romo that you got last year when he was hurt and maybe he's deteriorating. And now you know, okay, you don't need to bring Romo back in. And the only reason Romo needs to go back in is if Dak gets hurt. 
I'd rather Here's not. The... I mean, I'm just saying, like, you don't know what you're going to get later on in the season. Week 16, let's say Dak, something happens with Dak, and he has a weird injury, and, and the Cowboys need the win or whatever. It's the only time Romo's played all year. What if Romo has a bad game and the Cowboys don't get in or, or the Cowboys are kind of limping into the playoffs or whatever? That affects your team. This is not – the Cowboys don't have the Broncos' defense to rely on. They have a, a pretty good defense. But, you know, I'm, I'm just saying you got to be careful about what you decide to do here. It's a good point. But we must uh, – that's a great debate. We can go on for hours about that, but we don't have time for that, so we'll just leave it at that. Cowboys on a bye week this week. They go play the Eagles Sunday night on NBC the day before Halloween. So let's talk about the, the team that went to the Super Bowl last year and lost to the Broncos, the Carolina Panthers. I'll just say it. Two words. No. Four words. After last week's game, the Panthers are done. It's over. Done. Kaput. Goodbye. Uh, and uh, who was it who said that they would win, go 19-0 this season? <laughs> I hear a popping sound somewhere. Yeah, other than the curse of Steven, I'm, I'm not really sure what's wrong with this team. Obviously, the defense that they ran with Josh Norman as the focal point, reconfiguring that has not gone as successfully as they had intended it to be. Also, their offensive line just has not been doing a great job. And because of that, Cam Newton is getting decked every game, and he isn't playing like the Superman quarterback he was last year. This is a completely different team than we saw last year that went 15-1, best regular season team, and that, of course, made it to the Super Bowl. This looks like the Carolina Panthers from five or six years ago when they were one of the worst teams in the league and then, of course, drafted Cam Newton. The defense cannot guard the pass. They do not have any reliable corners with Josh Norman, Charles Tillman, Benet Benwicker, and Cortland Finnegan all gone. Their top four corners from last year are gone. They don't have any pass protection. As Josh mentioned, Cam Newton is getting hit a ridiculous amount of times per game, which has resulted in him not playing like he should be, like he used to be. And that's why they have five losses, and they really can only lose one or two more games to stay at a record where you need to be for the playoffs, and there's no guarantee of being at 10-6 and six or 9-7 and seven that you make the playoffs. And the way they're playing, I don't see them reeling off, the, racking up those many wins in a row the way they're playing right now. Personally, Steven and Josh said it best. Steven said it best when he said the Panthers are done. Josh said it best. It really starts with the defense. I knew in the offseason that it was a total mistake Letting Josh Norman go. I knew with Tillman in his retirement, I knew they had to rebuild, but you at least would have one focal point to where one side of the field you don't throw to. And as far as on offense, it is the offensive line. Cam Newton does not have the time. He's running around for his life, trying to make plays, and the fact that a guy who is already prone to being hit more often just in the years leading up to this season, now is compounding that because he doesn't have that protection and feels more compelled to make plays with his legs. Yes, he has Benjamin back at wide receiver, but 
you can't even establish those kinds of plays. And with the Falcons running away with the division, at least early on, like they are, sorry, one and five, it's not going to cut it. Yeah, and I mean, this is going to be a hard thing with the Panthers. Not only that, because they've lost to everybody in the division already once. (laughs) So that puts them behind the eight ball as far as being able to do anything NFC-wise because then you'll have these possible division tiebreakers that that cause problems. And then it's just you guys kind of brought up a lot of the the stuff here, whether it's the corners where you basically you're starting two new corners and then you're having to sign guys off the street because – Ben Wickery was that bad they cut him and then you got your offense where it is pretty much like Eric said it's the offensive line and it's Cam feeling like he has to make plays by himself now they did look good with Jonathan Stewart back yesterday but you got to take that with a grain of salt of being in the New Orleans Saints defense which is still they were okay but they're still one of the pretty bad ones in the NFL so they were kind of unfortunate not to come back and win, considering everything they did to to come back in that fourth quarter. But that's just kind of been the Panthers' luck this year. Just even when it looked like they're going to turn it around, they lose again. Panthers are one and five. Well, let's just go down their schedule because they could. I see them finishing two and fourteen the way the rest of this thing goes. Host Arizona in Los Angeles. Host Kansas City. Host New Orleans at the Rays, at the Seahawks, host the Chargers, at the Redskins, host the Falcons, at Tampa Bay. I say 2-14, and 14, and I'm so serious about that. Personally, I think with the way that that schedule reads, 1-15 isn't out of the question. Ugh. Yeah, it's not looking good for this... Uh... This Panthers team, I mean, they're playing a first-place schedule, which is just making their fall from grace that much more brutal because it's not like their games outside the division are going to be cakewalks. Yeah, it's a brutal schedule, and the way they're playing right now, they're playing like a 1-5 team, going against teams like the Falcons and the Seahawks, and even the Rams who are playing well lately. It's not going to be easy for a team like this to recover. They do have a bye week, which probably comes at the best time right now to recuperate. But you've got a lot of tough games coming up, whether it be home or away. And the way they're playing and the way they're protecting the pass, I just don't see them getting more than maybe four or five wins. I mean, that's just saying if they play really well down the stretch, stay healthy, maybe five or six. But I really don't see them going better than getting maybe 10 or 11 losses. So this could be a really ugly season for a team that was 15-1 and one last year. And we'll, this will go into our hot, to- hot seat topic. Talk about this off the air. Josh is right. Ron Rivera should not get fired on Black Monday. He took the team to a two-division titles the last two years, including a 15-1 and one record last year, and a Super Bowl appearance. So, the fa- the, yeah, they're going to finish... Eric said might be 1-15. I say 2-14. and 14. They get the last win at in Tampa, but that's it from from what I see. And they don't fire they don't fire Ron Rivera. One more year. If he screws up next year, and then you can get rid of him. Well, Steven, I hate to burst the bubble, but if they go 2-14, and 14, Riverboat Ron is definitely going to be on the ferry to some other city 
especially since he's a defensive coach and their defense has been nothing short of disastrous. Yes, I mean, and I understand the amount of success he's led this team to, especially considering where they were before they drafted Cam Newton and they were cellar dwellers in the NFL, but they go 2-14, and 3-13, and 13, even 4-12 from what this team was last year. And even all the talent they had coming into this year and all the expectations, his seat is either going to be piping or he's got to be he's got to be fired because you cannot accept these type of results even with them being injured and even with them having a tough schedule because they were in the Super Bowl last year they were 15 and 1 and they have so much talent that if you go win two or three games that's just not going to cut it no matter how much success he's led this team to over the past 3 years My thing about that okay say you do decide to get rid of him black monday I'm not seeing too many names that you could quickly replace him with. Granted, the as the saying goes, winning a Super Bowl gets you a three-year pass. I think losing it has to buy you at least another season, especially with the severity of changes at key points or key positions and on this particular side of the ball. I say yes. Light a fire under the seat. If he doesn't perform in 17, he's gone. That way, you can have an easier time replacing him. There may be one or two more coaches who are willing and able to take the job in 18. But for now, let's not pull the trigger too, too quickly. Yeah, I think we also got to remember how many of these teams that make the playoffs or even go as far as the Panthers did don't do as well the next year. It's no guarantee that you get back to the playoffs that next year. There are so many teams that the next year they play really badly. Uh, I mean, I think they'll get around five or six wins, which that would be okay for the trajectory they're on right now. And that's kind of things we've seen from Super Bowl teams, whether they win or whether they lose in the Super Bowl. Maybe you get to like that seven and nine at the most, but... I just don't see them doing that two-win, three-win thing. They're good enough. Number of division opponents, it's always a crapshoot. And some of these teams, I mean, Arizona's been up and down. Some of these other teams that they're playing, you never know what kind of day you catch them on. I think he's safe right now. It's You don't have to worry about it. As long as the team itself, you don't hear about stuff about him losing the locker room or the team's just outright terrible on the field or something like that he'll be fine and uh, i think eric brought up this point the release of josh Stroman really hurt them and i was not expecting that at all because i believe last year he only had like two interceptions so that baffling they go from super bowl to one and five without josh norman baffling and uh, josh you want to say oh uh, ron Rivera is out the door Back Black Monday because they're gonna finish two and fourteen. Oh uh, no, no! I said if they finish two and fourteen, I've got a little more faith in them being able to steal <laughs> a couple of games. I don't think they're going for a full tank job like the Philadelphia 76ers or anything. Oh no! But like, uh, yeah, two two and fourteen. That means he lost the locker room if that happens after making the Super Bowl appearance, and you just need a new voice. Well, yeah, and remember anyway. that it's not his Good. fault. That Josh Norman thing is a front office deal, so if they're blaming him for that, then they're idiots. Well, anyway, let's go on to another coach that needs to, needs to go. Maybe not now, maybe Black Monday. 
Marvin Lewis, and you guys bought stuff off air. Oh, but he's taking this team to the playoffs, blanking, blanking out of years. Yeah, but how many playoffs does he have since he started coaching in, I believe, 2006? Zero. And that is what teams want from a coach. Bring us to the Super Bowl. Bring us to Lombardi. Marvin Lewis will never do that in the NFL. Bengals need to move on and find somebody else. But the thing is, he's brought professionalism to that franchise. Like, if you remember the days when Achilles Smith was supposedly going to be their savior, you you remember how bad things were in the late 90s and early 2000s for the Bengals. They don't want to go anything near that. And also, it's not like these have been, like, playoff games that he's been out coached all the time he's had some freak things happen to him like the end of the implosion by his defense during the wild card game last year or even uh when Carson Palmer started his first playoff game and gets his ACL torn second play of the game when things like that happen you've also got to look at the context it's not like a Marty Schottenheimer he's been there for seven, 17 times, it still has a goose egg in the win column. Yeah, Achilles Smith and that no Spurgeon win, I saw the Bengals in those days. There were a reason why they gave me nightmares and they were called the Bungles. And as I was saying, Josh said it best in kind of going off of that professionalism respectability. The Bengals have not been this relevant for this long in the NFL since they went to their two Super Bowls during the 80s. That's it. This is a different level franchise. They want just to say, hey, notice us. We exist. Not just getting to the playoffs, winning in the playoffs, winning the Super Bowl, if you got a franchise that just wants credibility and not to be a laughingstock, Marvin Lewis has done that job. And the fact that he did it consistently, everybody kept hiring Marty Schottenheimer. They knew what they were getting. Fantastic regular seasons next to nothing in the playoffs. Sometimes you have coaches that are like that. And yes, as Josh mentioned, He's had a lot of bad luck. Carson Palmer, or even going into the playoffs, Andy Dalton injured, trying to make a tackle and dealing with A.J. McCarron. Sometimes you just have runs of bad luck. So, Marvin Lewis, this may be the best you get, but for a franchise like Cincinnati, this is pretty good. But here's the thing. How much longer are you going to go when not winning a playoff game? And I get what he's done taking them out of the cellar-dweller part of the NFL and brought them to a level of credibility where they are contending for the AFC North every year, most of the time winning that division. But when you go this long without winning a playoff game, how much longer are you going to go until you finally say, we need a new voice, we need a new coach? And I understand he's had a lot of bad luck. But at the end of the day, there's got to be a time when that front office, those players and those fans have to say, that we need a new coach, this can't go on forever without winning a playoff game. And like I said, he's done a lot. He's definitely lifted them to a new level in the NFL in terms of credibility and, you know, competing for their division, competing for a playoff spot every year. But for me, it's just, if this keeps going on and on without winning a playoff game, I don't know how much longer it can go 
until you pull the plug. I mean, I think the fans have been saying for a little while that they would uh, have no problem if Marvin Lewis was gone. Because how many times can you get to that first round of the playoffs and lose? I mean, it's not like you're even advanced and you give him a little bit of... It's every time you get there. And yeah, I know he's had freak things happen to him. And you could probably blame some of the reasons they're having problems right now on the front office. Because, you know, they decided to not sign either one of their receivers and just let both of them go. And you've seen, especially in Marvin Jones' case, how good he he's shown to be with Detroit... So you give him a whole new offense. You have the Tyler Eifert injury, which is unfortunate for them. And so it's like we're not even trying to rely on what really brought him to the dance either. It's like the Bengals went from having an identity to having nothing. And in that way, it goes to the coach. It's like why why is Jeremy Hill and Giovanni Bernard like almost directionless on this team? Like why are we not seeing them pound the ball and and run the ball? They want to be this team, but they don't do it. And then, you know, the defense has been – this supposed to be their, the thing they hang their hat on, and they've been uh, made to look silly in uh, so, so quite a few games this season. I mean, that's somewhere where you might have to look and say, man, this keeps going. Do we need to finally say we need a new voice and get rid of them? All right, real quick, guys. Give me one coach you think is on the hot seat that we have not named yet. Art, uh, sorry, I almost called him Art Browse, but no, the head coach of the jo- of the, you know, of both New York teams. Ben Bowles. McAdoo has just been. You're talking. You're uh, talking about Todd Bowles and New York Jets, right? Yes, Todd Bowles, and of course Ben McAdoo, because he's just been a joke. He is the Jim Tom Sula of this NFL season, a coach who had no business being promoted from being a coordinator because he is just overwhelmed. When a coach says that he's confused by a cover two defense, something that I've had a basic understanding of since I was 12 years old because of Madden, that's terrifying. That means that you've got somebody who has no business whatsoever running, being the CEO of a football team. Personally, I would have to lean more towards Bowles than McAdoo. I'm partially giving McAdoo a pass simply because this is the first time he's been at this big of a position. And taking over a team that was borderline shambles, yeah, it's going to be a rough patch. But with Bowles, Fitzpatrick's play aside, you're a defensive guy. You have a great defensive mind. Show that at Arizona. You showed that your first year. Now, that has collapsed. I mean, you saw what happened and how they could do absolutely nothing against the run on Monday Night Football. Uh, something switched off, and I don't think it's going to be switched back on right away. Hate to do this to Todd Bowles, but come on. You pretty much had one job. For me, I think it's Mike McCoy. While winning that game against Denver on Thursday night was huge for his job security, I still think he's on the hot seat. I still think he is close to getting the pink slip because despite the fact, and let me mention before I go into the fact that they blew all four of their losses, this last game 
where they were dominating them with the entire game, they almost found a way to blow it again. They give up an onside kick to Denver, and Denver is a hell Mary away and two-point conversion from tying the game. And then it's deja vu all over again for the fifth time this season. They've blown a lead, which they could have easily won. Now, they hung on and they won that game. But, again, this is a case of how much longer, how much longer are they going to be able to handle losing games that they should have easily won? Week one against Kansas City. Week three against Indianapolis. It goes on and on and on against New Orleans. They blew so many big leads and games that they should have won that even though they won last week, he's got to be very close to getting the pink slip and he has a lot of pressure on him to win some games and at least keep close without blowing a lead. Yeah, I think Dylan brings up the most obvious one, which is Mike McCoy. Because he was already pretty much told before that Denver game that he was pretty much playing for his job. And part of the reason why you see him with his head in his hands when that you have that opportunity of, oh, that Hail Mary might be happening here, is because he knows. I could be seeing the end of it right here. I just think that it's we're going to get to that point again where they might lose one or two and the front office is breathing down his neck again and it's, they're not going to bail him out the whole season. If anything, I think it's going to be so many close calls and so so much of this. Unless the Chargers just go on a complete roll, when you get to the end of the season, McCoy is going to be out just because it's going to be too much. Uh, Josh, I, I don't agree with that. Uh, McAdoo is 3-3 three and three in the division where everybody can win. All right, uh, He's 3-3 three and three in the division where everybody can win, but he doesn't know what a cover two is. And his star receiver is acting like a legitimate crazy All person right. on the sidelines, proposing hey. to Nets. OBJ has calmed down. He's married to the net. It's all over. I think McAdoo <laughs> saves his job. How can you all say right, that with a straight face? All right. We got to go. We'll be right back. We'll preview week seven. Next. Would Flex Seal be a better option at your flex position? Do you need a sham wow to clean up the mess you make after your quarterback throws another interception? Then we have the solution for you. I'm Randy Isbell. And I'm Mike Mitchell. And we're here to clean up your fantasy mess with more power than OxyClean. Check out the Fantasy Football to the Max podcast every Monday and Thursday at W2Mnet.com. If you're in the Pittsburgh area, look up McCrigger Photography on Facebook. That's M-C-K-R-I-G-E-R Photography. We specialize in senior pictures, portraits, wedding photos, engagement photos, and family photos. Contact us for rates and dates. It's game time, boys, and we know football. Football the Max is the podcast for you if you want in-depth analysis over the NFL and college football. We preview all the action coming your way over the weekend. And we break down all the big action after it's happened. Plus, we tackle all the big news topics and discuss everything when it comes to the gridiron. So come check out Football to the Max every Tuesday morning and Friday morning on the W2M Network. Dylan, what are Blake Bortles' first half stats? 299 yards, two touchdowns, and interceptions. He could do better than that. He knows it. Rachel, what's the latest on Big Ben's leg injury? His leg is healing. He should return to the game. The Steelers will need him the rest of the way, so that's a big break for them. Eric, what's the score in Glendale? Cardinals lead the Patriots 42-7. We all saw that coming. 
Josh, how are Joe Flacco and Cisa coming along? I mean, I hate to say it, but they're looking good. I mean, they had a great game last week, and they're only one game out of first place in the AFC North. Don't count them being there that long. Do you want to hear more of that? Listen to the Football Five every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, only on the WTM Network. Also, follow us on Twitter, at the Football Five. Welcome back to the Football Five. Eric Watkins, Dylan Goldman, Josh Alori, Sean Garmer, Stephen are here with you. So let's get into week seven here. And there's one game that I think this game is it was so I was so hyped for this game back in like week four. And that game is the Eagles and the Vikings. The Eagles have played very well all season, despite losing two in a row. The Vikings are undefeated thanks to their defense and Stefan Diggs. So guys, before we get into this game though, I wanna I wanna just make this point here. I believe this might be the Eagles decline because their schedule just gets Harder and harder from here on out. Yes, this is going to be the biggest test so far for the Eagles. They are at home, but they're playing the lone undefeated team in the league. If they lose this game, it might start a pattern of decline. We go from here, they play teams like the Seahawks, the Falcons. They're going to have tough divisional games against the Cowboys, who are one of the best teams in the league right now. The Redskins are hot. Even the Giants, despite being 3-3, are on the up. So... Along with that, those games, and I know they've been in a funk lately, but you got to hope by week 13 or so, the Packers will be out of it. So if you look at these next couple of weeks, this is going to be a brutal schedule for the Eagles. And if they lose on Sunday, then they might, this might start a pattern of decline because it's going to only get tougher from there. And it's going to be interesting to see how they would recover if they were to lose. That would be their third straight loss. Personally, I actually, you know what? Go ahead, Eric. Well, I was just going to say there's one thing now that's going to be very troubling for the Eagles the rest of the season. There's film on Carson Wentz. The Vikings are going to be the best team with their stout defense to provide a blueprint on how to beat him, mixing up different coverages, bringing the right amount of pressure, certain plays, what to do on early downs to get him confused. Once other teams like the Seahawks, to a small extent, the Falcons, and the other teams that they'll play, especially, well, to an even smaller extent, the Cowboys, with their somewhat iffy defense, once they see this blueprint on how to get to him, everybody's going to start doing it. So it's up to Wentz. Doug Peterson and the rest of the offense to start to make adjustments. If they can't do that after this week, win or lose, then the Eagles are going to be rounded. Hey, we're forgetting the biggest thing, that the Eagles are going to be without their best offensive lineman because he's facing a 10-game suspension for the violation of the PED policy with the NFL. That is huge when you think about it because Carson Wentz, as most right-handers, is going to have the left tackle defending his blind side. And 10 weeks without your starting left tackle, especially with a quarterback that young, is going to have a dramatic impact on how he plays. So I feel like, Eagles will probably write the ship, but it's going to be a couple of weeks. So as I was saying, 
before we had all technical difficulties. Eagles have played well. They've lost two in a row. Carson Wentz ahead and throw his first interception. They went a one to Detroit. Had they not given up the big play at the end of the Redskins game, they might have had a chance inside the game. So I'm saying the Eagles, I don't know about you, you guys think, the Eagles could be a very tough competition for Minnesota and this defense. Yeah, I mean, look, this is a team that through the first five games, no matter win or lose, has been a tough team both offensively and defensively. And I'm not saying that the Vikings defense is going to chomp on this Eagles team, force multiple turnovers, and dominate this game. But when you look at what Minnesota has played already, they've played Green Bay, who I know has been in a funk, but let's just be honest, they still have one of the best quarterbacks in the league and all around some of the best some of the best offensive players in the league. They completely shut down Carolina. And you look at their overall body of work, they've just completely shut down and handled every team they've played. They've dominated other teams. Like, I understand they're not very great offensively, such as Houston last week. But in all honesty, this is a defense that's dominated every opponent they face. The Eagles could be a challenge, but the way they've played every other team they've faced so far this year, it might be tough for the Eagles to move the ball down on the Vi- uh, down on the Vikings' throat, but it could be tougher for the Vikings' offense to move down the Eagles' defense, who has been very, very solid this year. So we'll be probably looking at a battle of the defenses here. Yeah, I see it being a defensive battle. But here's the thing. The Vikings got the best defense, and Sam Bradford is a vet. He knows how to deal with high-pressure situations, and he's really the greatest game manager we've seen in the last half decade. So he'll be able to help the Vikings get the W. And even with Sean's score prediction, I think... With what the Eagles could potentially do and the Vikings with the mentality of, hey, we only need a little bit of this, basically, Sam, keep on not screwing things up, I think 1916 might be a little bit generous. Maybe 1310, 1312, something in that range. Let's go to the Thursday night game. Brian Hoyer against Aaron Rodgers. Now, we all know Aaron Rodgers has had problems over the course of the season. But to make matters worse, Brian Hoyer's stats are better than Aaron Rodgers' stats. It's unbelievable knowing how Brian, what kind of quarterback Brian Hoyer has been in his career. That he has better stats than Aaron Rodgers over the last, I believe it was the last 12 games they've both started. So I'm seeing a little upset here in Lambeau. Yes, look, this is a Thursday night game, and no matter the matchup, a Thursday night game is going to be close typically no matter the matchup, no matter the conditions. This is a divisional rivalry, and despite being 1-5, the Bears have played particularly well this season, especially when Brian Hoyer took over. They should have been in Jacksonville, most certainly. They should have been in Indianapolis. There's a lot of should-haves here, and while... You say they should close out games. They've played well enough to win a lot of the games that they've lost. They're going into Lambeau, a team that's in more of a funk than they are. They have no idea what's going on. They don't know what the problem is, and they are short at running back. They did acquire Nile Davis today, but still, they are short at running back. It's going to be a tough game, but I just don't see the Packers losing two straight at Lambeau. 
regardless of how how badly they're struggling. I mean, this is what happens with an organization when you have a quarterback that not just cares about the game, but cares about teammates. Say whatever you want about Brian Hoyer being a journeyman. He doesn't tear his ACL making that run in Cleveland. He's probably still there. Rob Chudzinski's still there. This is a guy who, is he the most talented in the league? No, but he's a very hard worker, gets chemistry with his teammates. This is where you've seen a different sort of clicking going on with the Bears. And with Aaron Rodgers, you could say it's him. You could say it's his arm. You could say it's an incredibly different style of play calling. But we're not seeing the same prolific offense that we did when Rodgers was leading the Packers to a Super Bowl. I don't think we're going to see that. And if the Bears can at the least keep it close with the way that Rodgers and the Packers have been on offense in the second half, they could easily steal this one. I'm surprised that you've got faith in the Packers' defense because I have absolutely none. They have looked all out of all types of sorts on both sides of the ball. But you know who's looked even worse? The Chicago Bears. I've got to go with the Packers. I can't see Aaron Rodgers sitting down. He knows how much this rivalry means, and he knows that this is basically dooming the season if they lose to the hated Bears at Lambeau Field. They're not dropping two at home in two straight weeks. They're going to pull out the W here. Uh, I'm not sure sure about that Packer defense. I don't know if Clay Matthews will start. He was out last week against Dallas. Sam Shields just went on the IR. And Brian Hoyer has the same stats as Aaron Rodgers. So, again, I, I, just, I could see this. I don't know if the Packers will lose against the Bears, but it's definitely doable with the way Brian Hoyer and his stats show against Aaron Rodgers. So, uh, here's something interesting I actually found. The Jets. The Ravens played at MetLife last week, lost the Giants after OBJ scored a 66-yard touchdown on a 4th and 1. Final score, 27-23, Giants beat the Ravens. Where are the Ravens this week? Oh, hey, they're back in MetLife. They're playing the Jets this time. I just found it so interesting that the, the Ravens, the NFL, I should say, stuck the Ravens in New Jersey for two straight weeks. You never see that. New Jersey jokes aside, I think this is going to be, well, this is one of those very interesting quirks. And I'm curious about how the Ravens are really going to play this. I mean, if I was the coach or if I was the front office, I'm like, we're playing at the same stadium, same city, back-to-back weeks, even though it's just a short trip from the Meadowlands to Baltimore. I don't even make that trip. I try to see where we can have practices, walkthroughs, film, do so that way we can be acclimated and say, hey, let's get right back on the horse and pretty much beat a team while they couldn't be any farther down. This is definitely a quirk on the schedule that we usually don't ever see 
Well, first of all, let's just mention this is all there. There aren't share, there aren't many shared stadiums. Let's just go off that. This is really a one odd case, but we've never really seen it before where a team has played at MetLife two straight weeks in a row. So it's definitely a quirk in the schedule, and it's something that probably is an advantage and a disadvantage for the Ravens. They definitely, they obviously will not have to travel anywhere. They can stay where they are. But it's going to be interesting to see how they settle, where they're going to practice, walkthroughs, film sessions, all that. So it's definitely a quirk in the schedule we haven't seen in a long time. And it's going to be interesting to see how both teams play that out because they're both struggling having, having built up some big losing streaks. Here's my thing. To your point early, Eric, I understand the basic logic you have there, but one thing that NFL players treasure are their routines, and it's still a road game, so I figured they want to be in that routine of going back home and getting back it to being comfortable and then going up. Also, we're talking about New Jersey. No offense to anybody from there, but uh, who really wants to spend an extra week in New Jersey? New Jersey is a fun place, depending on where you are. <laughs> so, uh, Monday night, it's time. Brock Osweiler makes his return to Denver, where everyone loves to. Everyone just praised him for because C.J. Anderson beat the Patriots week twelve in overtime. Uh, I'll, just, I'll just say it, point blank: Brock Osweiler, not a four-year, seventy-two million dollar man. He struggled last season against Pittsburgh. It blew a big lead in a loss. Against Oakland, five turnovers. Uh, Cleo Mack had five sacks. I don't see why the Houston paid him so much. Osweiler epitomizes when the everyday struggle of a team to find a quarterback. Brock Osweiler, I've been saying this since our season preview show, is going to need to prove to me that he's a legitimate NFL quarterback before I say he's going to earn that $72 million. Because as of right now, he played well in the second half and led his team to a comeback. But overall, his body of work from last season to this season, and especially this year, it's not been a good body of work. Overall, it's been very, very unimpressive. And the reason, only reason why I could think he got that much money is that Houston was that desperate to find a quarterback that, most teams would that most teams that are desperate for a quarterback would consider a viable option, but paying seventy two million for a guy that played half a season is really just not logical. But sometimes you get so desperate, you do things you shouldn't. And apparently, as of right now, other than that second half against the Colts in overtime, he has not been anywhere close near seventy two million dollars. Well, this is what I was saying before we started the show. This is proving more of a schism between NFL and college. NFL, you need to be able to have a quarterback run a certain type of offense, comfortable in the pocket, a little bit of scrambling, trust receivers, handing off what they call in college the pro style. But with college... Because coaches are auditioning for their jobs on an annual basis, having to please the boosters, the AD, and everybody, they're running more to the spread. Wide out, quarterback, either the pistol, in the shotgun, what have you, rarely under center, playing pitch and catch. 
this is only going to get worse as the years go by because you have very few schools that are going to get quarterbacks to be NFL ready. So if you think Osweiler is getting a huge contracts like this now, wait until as the guys who are in the league, the upper echelon now, start to retire, you're going to have even more mediocre guys under center getting even bigger contracts. So this is the start of the snowball. Brock turns to Denver Monday night against Denver. I have a feeling Denver will win the game, but it's going to be close because still, it might be Brock, but he has Will Fuller the fifth. He has Lamar Miller, and he has DeAndre Hopkins. But I see Denver pulling out the win there. So before we get to our picks right here, we have breaking news. And this goes back to our Thursday night game. Packers are without Eddie Lacy several weeks. It's more than just a sprained ankle. Those are the words from Ian Rappaport at Rap Sheet on Twitter. So I'm going to go ahead and say Bears pull off the win with Eddie Lacy being out these several weeks. So let's go into our picks now. Eric, we'll start with you as always. Close game, upset of the week. Blowout game. Looking at the schedule, I've had a bit of a theme to this week's picks. You'll probably get the sense of it. The first one that stared at me was my upset of the week. On one hand, you got one team finally able to do something, salvage a bit of their season, help continue to save their coach's job, and win on the road. Happens to be my hometown team. Another team that started well, just got crushed by a division rival. Now they're hopping across time zones. You got a former coach returning to his old team. There's a lot of setup to this. That said, I got to go with the home team. My upset of the week, I think the Jaguars, they might have finally figured out something on offense. Figured out a little bit on defense. I think that they, if anybody, can build on the momentum and beat the Oakland Raiders. My blowout of the week. Another Florida team. Big upset win. Nobody expected. Now they're back. Very potential for a letdown. Against a team really turned around their season. All of a sudden, they're dropping 30, 40 points after firing their offensive coordinator. Dolphins, as much as I like them after their win over the Steelers, they're not a team that can put together two in a row. I think the Bills can. That's my blowout. And for my close one, the team that lost to the Bills, the 49ers. A lot of issues with Kaepernick. I think they can learn from it, but... With Kaepernick's attitude and just the way that he played, that's going to be marginal. Against in a team, the Tampa Bay, we last saw them on Monday Night Football do just enough to win. I think that they're going to do just enough yet again, but that's going to be yet another snooze fest. Not good to watch, but if you're looking for a close game, that's mine. You now go to Dylan for his picks. All right, so I'll start with my blowout game of the week. And this, if we said this last week or two weeks ago, you would call me crazy. 
And while this is not going to be the blowout game that you would think, it would. I'm just saying at least two touchdowns, and that's Patriots-Steelers. And while I understand the Steelers have a lot of weapons without Ben Roethlisberger, I just don't see Landry Jones doing anything that compares to the Patriots. Tom Brady, they are rolling now with Brady back, and Gronkowski is back healthy. Martellus Bennis fitting perfectly into the two-tight end system, and the defense is fully healthy. I just don't see it where Landry Jones can do anything comparable to what Tom Brady's going to do. And they're going to stick around for a little bit. But once we hit halftime, it's going to get to at least two touchdowns or 17 points. I understand it's at Heinz Field. I just don't see Landry Jones having any capability to get anything done. So that would be probably my blowout game of the league. And now in terms of my upset, it comes overseas in London, the Rams and the Giants are playing in London for the second London game of the season. And my upset pick here is the Rams. The Giants barely squeaked out a win over the Ravens last week, who have been in some turmoil with their offense coordinator being fired and a bunch of other things with injuries and and stuff. So they barely pulled out a win. They needed an Odell Beckham touchdown to seal it. Los Angeles, despite the fact that they are 3-3 like the Giants, They had an offensive breakthrough last week, scoring 28 points. That is something they have not been able to do this year. They've had to have their defense carry them. Of course, their defense allowed 31 last week. So the defense is going to have to be better. But if their defense can stay in check, hold the the Giants to a limited amount of points, and the Rams offense does what they did last week, then I see them pulling off the upset in London. Giants are currently three-point favorites. So I am going to give this upset to the Rams. And... In terms of my close game of the week, it comes in Detroit, where the Redskins are taking on the Lions. The Lions enter as only a one-point favorite. Washington has been doing what they did last year, finding enough, finding ways and making just enough plays to win games. There's nothing been flashy. They've just done enough to win four straight games. Detroit has now won two straight after losing three games of their first four. For me, this is going to be a very, very tight game. This might come down to a field goal at the least six or seven points. I think Detroit continues their winning streak. I think Washington's done just enough, but they're going to go on the road, realize that Detroit is playing a lot better, and so is Washington, to be fair. But I think Detroit, with home field, they're going to do just enough to win. I say they win by a field goal. Josh. Okay. Now, for my close game of the week, I'm picking the Buccaneers at the 49ers. It's not going to be a good close game, but we never said that had to be the case with our close games of the week. The two teams that are fairly evenly matched should be uh, one of those games that's two bad teams, but they, they kind of play to each other's level, so it's an entertaining game at the least. My blowout of the week... Well, I mean, it's hard to pick one, but I would have to say it's going to be the Falcons against the Chargers. Listen, the Chargers finally got a win, but also they just have been the heartbreak team, and it just seems like poetic justice that they would get blown out on the road against the Falcons, who are looking to bounce back after an ugly loss this week. And my upset of the week... Well, you know what? I'm picking the Jets 
to somehow pull out a miracle against the Ravens. I know the Jets are on the road, and that's typically good for three points, but given how pedestrian they have looked and the fact that Geno Smith might be their starter next week, them winning any game will be considered an upset by this young man. Sean? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, the blowout of the week. Maybe the uh, – this this one's always kind of tough to try to predict blowouts. But uh, you know what? Maybe Monday night we get another repeat because Denver Broncos going against their old quarterback. I think they're going to want to shut Brock Osweiler completely down. And I would not be surprised if maybe, – maybe this is a total defensive game and there's not a lot of points going on. Uh, by either side, maybe this is one of those small blowouts, but uh, maybe we're talking about like a 20-3 to kind of game or something, Broncos beating the Texans at home. I just can't see also while they're going in there and the Broncos just not want to do anything but sack him constantly. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with uh, the close game of the week. I'm going with uh, the opposite of... What Josh just said. I think the Chargers and Falcons, that's going to be a close game. Uh, the Chargers put up points. So the Falcons. This is going to be another shootout game with these two. The Chargers defense has actually been getting better as the uh, season has gone on, even though they lost Manti Teo and everything. I actually think, uh, you know, it, we could be seeing one of these once again with the Chargers where they're really close at the end of the game and we'll see who wins at the end. And my upset, maybe this is too bold, but the Cleveland Browns always play the Cincinnati Bengals really tough, regardless of what the teams are like or anything like that. And if there was a time for the Browns to actually get their first win, it would be here with the Bengals being the way they are. Don't know if Joe Hayden's going to be back to cover A.J. Green or whatnot, but the Browns' offense has actually looked really good. Cody Kessler has looked Way better than I think anybody thought he was going to under this Browns offensive scheme. Isaiah Crowell's been doing a lot better. I think the Browns pulled the upset on the Bengals. As always, great picks by all of you. I'm going to go ahead and turn the tables on Josh's picks. I'm going to start my blowout. Uh, yeah, the, the Ravens, they're going to show that they're a good team. They're three, they lost three in a row, but uh, it's the Jets. The Jets are 1-5. Brian Fitzpatrick will start. Todd Bowles said that after the Cardinals, the Arizona loss Monday night. That Fitz is their starter. And, yeah, it's going to be a dumpster fire in Jersey. Ravens will beat the Jets by 21 points. Close game. I got to stick with what I said. Oh, no, I'm actually going to go with Sean on this one. Down in Georgia. Falcons, hot, hot, hot Atlanta right now. Just like last year. Hotland at this point in the season. Chargers, they could be 5-0, and 6-0 and right now. They just cannot finish strong. I'm not saying they're going to finish strong and win in Atlanta, but it's going to be very close. Possibly overtime in this one. Upset of the week? Uh, I said it already on the show. Thursday night. Brian Hoyer is better than Aaron Rodgers, statistically. That, and no Eddie Lacy for the Packers? Yeah, the Bears are going to win in Lambeau. Field goal, no time left. Bada bing, bada boom. So that will do it for Warrior hasn't thrown an interception in four <laughs> games. That's a miracle for him. 
And hey, there's that too. So that'll do it here on the Football Five. Eric Watkins, Josh Laurie, Dylan Goldman, Sean Garber, thank you for joining us again today. I'm Stephen Err. Enjoy week seven. We'll be back to recap it all next week and preview week eight with Rachel McCurger back with us. The following podcast is a W2M Network partnership production. Visit W2Mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment.